Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi, my name is Rachel Cole Feingold, and I am the Maharat at Congregation Shar HaShemayim in Montreal. I am so happy to be back for another Your Torah podcast, this time for the tractate of Kuritot. Torah law presents an elaborate system of sin and punishment, whereby each prohibition carries with it a specific consequence. Some of these punishments are enumerated directly in the written Torah, while others might be deduced by the rabbis in the oral law. Throughout Jewish theology, there is a deeply held belief in cause and effect when it comes to obeying the mitzvot of the Torah. Performance of a mitzvah receives a reward, although in most cases we cannot know the reward, that's up to God, while a sinful act brings a negative result. As a consequence of transgressing one of the commandments, One might receive a punishment from the rabbinic court, as mild as a monetary fine or as extreme as the death penalty, while other transgressions require a sacrificial offering in the temple. In the discussion of the punishments that are to be meted out by the rabbinic courts, especially when it comes to corporal punishments or the death penalty, the halakha in many ways limits the power of the court. The rabbis show a deep sense of responsibility and even humility in the weight of how such punishments affect a person's life. The margin for error, no matter how small, can have disastrous consequences, which is why the halakha puts in place an elaborate system of checks and balances when it comes to a court's ability to find someone guilty. In order for someone to be considered fully guilty of a sin and worthy of punishment in a rabbinic court, the person needs to have been legitimately warned as to the consequences of his or her actions before the sin was committed. This is called a hatra'ah. Not only that, but the warning, the hatra'ah, needs to take place before two kosher witnesses, that is, adult Jewish males who are not related to the sinner or to each other. And then the sin itself needs to have been committed before two witnesses as well. All these witnesses are investigated thoroughly by the rabbinic court judges. One can understand, in thinking about this process, why the Talmud says that a rabbinic high court, a Sanhedrin, that meets out the death penalty even once in 70 years is considered a bloody Sanhedrin. It is very easy for a sin to not meet the criteria for punishment by rabbinic court. This means... There might be many sins that are committed for which the court has no power to punish. And this is where the Tractate of Kritot picks up. You see, there are a host of sins which the Torah says deserve specific corporal punishments, stoning, burning, and so on, pretty intense punishments. Thankfully, the rabbinic court is squeamish about actually meeting out these punishments. As I explained, the halacha makes it almost impossible. And still, the rabbis of the Talmud insist that our actions have consequences and have an impact on our own lives going forward. So if the court is unable to enforce the punishment for some specific sins because of the technical requirements that are not met, then we leave it in the hands of God, who punishes with karet. Karet 
is a punishment given by God for specific transgressions which have been violated intentionally and for which the court is not able to act because there was insufficient warning or witnesses for prosecution. Karate represents the theological insistence that where human justice fails, God's justice steps in. The punishment of karate is mysterious. The word comes from the phrase in the Torah that discusses this punishment, this soul shall be cut off from within its people. Karet is the divine punishment of being cut off. What does it mean to be cut off? What is karet? I'll give you a hint. It's not very pleasant. Karet is understood to be one of three possible punishments. Either a person dies young before their time, hence their years are cut off, or their child dies before they do, in this way cutting off their future continuity, or they lose their share in the world to come, which is the cutting off of their spiritual future. What is interesting in this debate is that people can never be quite sure when someone has been punished with karate. For example, the rabbis debate how young is considered dying young. Is it 50 or 60, they wonder, or something in between? And how could we possibly know if someone loses their share in the world to come? Ultimately, this is between each human being and the Creator, not something that the rabbis or any other individual can be certain of. It's interesting to see what kinds of sins bring on this punishment of karate. The tractate Kritot begins by listing the sins that deserve this punishment from God. There are 36 of them in all. They include forbidden intimate relationships, pagan practices including idol worship and child sacrifice, violating Shabbat, violating the holiness or ritual requirements of the temple rituals, including entering into the holy temple or eating holy foods while in a state of ritual impurity, eating forbidden parts of the animal sacrifices, such as the chelev, a specific kind of fat, or the blood, the dam, the blood of the animal, or making imitation anointing oil or imitation incense, offering animal sacrifice outside the temple. These are the less familiar ones to us than the ones that come next in the Mishnah, which are eating chametz on Pesach, eating food of any kind on Yom Kippur, and also neglecting two positive commandments, the Paschal Lamb on the eve of Pesach and the circumcision of one's son. Remember, karet only takes effect if the evidence of the crime will not hold up in rabbinic court, which is most of the time, as we said, because of the high standard required of the evidence. And karet only also comes if a person violated these prohibitions intentionally, If the mitzvah was violated unintentionally, for example, someone violated Shabbat because they got their days confused and they thought today was Sunday, then there's a requirement of bringing a chatat, a sin offering. And if a person is uncertain of whether or not the prohibition was violated, like, say, you ate a piece of cake, but then afterwards you weren't sure whether the one you ate was the chametz or the kosher for Pesach version, Then you bring a different offering, an asham talui. By the way, that must have been some really great Passover cake. The vast majority of the tractate of Kritot is actually spent 
on these last two things, the chatat offering brought when a person transgresses unintentionally, and the asham talui offering, which is brought when a person is unsure of whether or not they sinned. In chapter 1, after the first Mishnah enumerates exactly which sins bring the punishment of karet, then the rest of the chapter deals with the requirements of the chatat. This continues into chapter 2, which discusses the different variations of the sacrificial requirements of chatat. For example, sometimes a series of sins might require only a single korban chatat, and it also discusses the different possible kinds of chatat transgressions. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, we return to the violations that bring the punishment of karet when done intentionally, and we focus more in depth on the chatat requirements for these when violated unintentionally. These chapters imagine all kinds of variations and scenarios that might lead to chatat requirements for a karet prohibition. Chapter 6, finally, moves on to a discussion of the details related to the asham talui offering, as well as other sacrificial offerings. Let's read together the Mishnah in Tractate Kritot, chapter 3, verse 4. Again, this is the section where the tractate is discussing those violations that bring the punishment of karet, but focuses on the chatat that is brought when these are violated unintentionally. So the Mishnah in chapter 3, Mishnah 4, reads as follows. Yesh ochel achila achat. There is a case when one who does a single act of eating this person who commits a single act of eating can become liable for four chataot, four chatat offerings, and one asham offering. The Mishnah continues to explain what case it is we can be talking about. So let's first translate this, and then we'll deconstruct it. An impure person ate forbidden fat, which was notar, left over from a sacrifice, and it was Yom Kippur. So there are four isure karet, four karet violations happening in one act of eating. Number one, the person is eating holy foods while in a state of impurity. Number two, the part that he ate was the chelev, the specific fat of the animal which is forbidden to eat to begin with. Number three, this chelev that he ate was in the category of notar, meaning he ate it after it passed its deadline, as some sacrificial meat needed to be eaten on the same day or the next day. So that's another karet violation. The korban basically passed its halachic expiration date. And then, as if all this wasn't enough, number four, it was on Yom Kippur. He should be fasting. The Mishnah points out that there's also an asham offering required as a result of this eating, which we did not discuss in this tractate, but this has to do with me'ila, gaining benefit from sacrificial offerings that one is not allowed to gain benefit from. The Mishnah continues as Rabbi Meir then adds yet another sin that may have been violated with this single action. Rabbi Meir Omer, Im haita shabbat, Rabbi Meir says, 
If it was on Shabbat and he carried it out in his mouth, he is liable for yet another chatat. Meaning, if the person ate this forbidden meat on Shabbat while walking around and carried the meat inside his mouth as he walked from the private to public domain or vice versa, then he is liable for yet another transgression, which is carrying on Shabbos. By the way, carrying is forbidden even on Yom Kippur, not just on Shabbat, and we already said this happened on Yom Kippur. And so the Kahati Mishnayot points out that the Talmud here launches into a discussion of why Rabbi Meir is adding this as a further violation, a separate Shabbat violation, on top of everything else. Anyway, Rabbi Meir's opinion is just a minority view, as the Mishnah concludes with the response of the sages, the Chachamim, to Rabbi Meir, Amrulo, the sages said to him, to Rabbi Meir, that is not the same category of sin. They're saying to Rabbi Meir, we're just talking about prohibitions of eating right now. Carrying is not under the same topic and therefore is not relevant to this discussion about eating infractions. This is the end of the Mishnah. This Mishnah is engaged in something we might call halachic math, the rabbis of the Mishnah are pushing the limits, imagining the boundaries of the discussion, and perhaps even having a bit of fun with it. They demonstrate that one person can violate many prohibitions, many isure karet, with a single action. Thus, in a single moment, many different outcomes have been created. So what is Masachet Kritot teaching us? Firstly, our actions have consequences not only here on earth, but in our internal spiritual psyches. Our actions even have mysterious cosmic consequences, which we may not experience right away. And even a single action can have multiple effects and many simultaneous consequences. But most interestingly, I think, Kritot also teaches us to consider the meaning of what it is to be cut off from life itself. One creative modern interpretation of the word karet, which I learned from another teacher, is that the idea of being cut off, karet, is almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you look at the list of the kritot, these are mitzvot that we might call communal identity markers. Think about it. Chametz on Pesach, Brit Milah, Shabbat, Yom Kippur, even the sanctity of our central holy site and the ways in which we behave in our actions and our eating surrounding it. The violation of one of these tenets causes someone to cut him or herself off from her community and from her Jewish identity. To be sure, this is not an exhaustive list of mitzvot that are communally significant, but they are a pretty good summary of the behaviors that mark an individual as part of the Jewish community. I am always moved by the inclusion of intimate relationships on this list of karet violations. When I teach brides and grooms the laws of nida, we always dwell for a few minutes and consider what it means that the prohibition of nida is included on this list of kritot. It is a reminder that our community identity begins with the relationship between two people. And even what we do behind closed doors can be part of our larger community ethic of how intimate relationships are lived out. It blends the public and the private, 
which somehow unites us even when we are alone with only another individual. If Karit tells us how we cut ourselves off, it can also be instructive in terms of how to ensure our connectedness and our continuity, our sacred days and times like Shabbat and Yom Kippur, our sacred practices such as Brit Milah and Passover, our sacred places in Yerushalayim and the temple practices, and even our most intimate relationships can ensure that we are not cut off, but rather that we are guaranteed continuity and resilience in this world and even in the mysterious mind of God. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjova.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.